Well, we have chosen today, and I think I told you, we'll be covering some random topics on the several uh, weeks that we have here before uh, our fall kicks in, and I've told you a little bit about our fall and some things that we have in store for our teaching time. But I'm going to be doing some random things throughout the summer, some of which, like this morning, is just uh, one of those issues that I think we need to talk about, I think you need to make sure that you understand. There'll be other weeks that we're going to kind of follow up along the theme I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, uh, sermon hang-ups. Uh, now, it's hard for me to believe that anybody could be hung up by anything that I say. I try to make it so very clear. But I recognize that there are some of you that every once in a while, you're listening to me and you're going, I don't have a clue what he just said. I know he tried to explain it, but it makes no sense to me. We're trying to identify as a staff some of those areas that might be, and then we're going to go back and we're going to kind of dive into some of those areas, maybe three or four each of uh, those weeks that we do that, uh, just to kind of get you over some of those hang-ups where we needed to go a little bit deeper so that you have a little greater understanding of uh, some of those areas. So today is not uh, necessarily, hopefully, a sermon hang-up, but it could be one of those things because there is a lot of confusion regarding baptism, both inside and outside of the church. Uh, for many people, uh, in fact, it would probably be true of a number of you this morning, your view is primarily based on your own experience. And I, I think about it often when I think about those who didn't grow up in church, this is all new to you, and you come to a, uh, uh, a baptismal time that we have, such as we'll have uh, next Sunday at uh, Jordan Lake. And I wonder, oftentimes, we do it publicly, and I'll tell you why we do that here this morning. We do that publicly, and sometimes I think, I wonder what people that are standing around at the beach are thinking about us. I mean, they're out there swimming. They, they, they didn't sign up for this, right? I mean, they, they just showed up at the beach, and all of a sudden, they saw a couple hundred people that started marching towards the lake. If that's not enough to scare you, but that wasn't enough. Then not all of them went out into the water. Just a few of them went out into the water. And then there's some people that are dunking other people under the water. Now, that has to be bizarre if you didn't grow up in church, right? I mean, if I didn't and I went to the beach just kind of to be with my family for the day and all of a sudden I saw people doing that, I'd, I'd kind of wonder, right? I want you to understand, though, that baptism is an important step in the journey of a Christ follower. And so I thought it might be a good idea on this summer or Sunday to spend just a little bit of time looking at what the Bible says about baptism. Here's something I want to tell you at the outset. It really doesn't matter to me, and it really shouldn't matter to you, what you think about baptism or what your preconceived ideas are about baptism. It really doesn't matter to me what any particular church says about baptism. I realize that many of you have come from different denominational backgrounds and your church, the church that you were involved in, had a, a particular view of baptism. Let's agree this morning that we will put aside what churches say about baptism, what we as individuals might think or have an opinion about baptism, and let's just simply look at what the Bible says about baptism. And I know that's difficult for some of you to do because you grew up in these traditions and in these churches. And, and if you get confused this morning, here's what I would ask you to do. Maybe take the time to go back to that church, to go back to that pastor or those leaders and ask them why they do what they do if it doesn't match up this morning to what we teach you from God's Word. How about that? Is that a good agreement? 
At Northwest Community Church, and I tell you this uh, often, you really shouldn't care what I think. You really shouldn't care about what the people sitting next to you think. You should only care what I think as I tell you what God's Word says. And sometimes we get confused in believing what a church teaches is the same as what, a Bible, what the Bible teaches. And very often those things are not congruent. And so the purpose of our time uh, this morning is uh, not to discuss the various views of different churches, but simply teach what the Bible says about baptism. And we're going to answer five basic yet critical questions uh, this morning. And those are listed for you. Those questions are listed for you there in your notes. And uh, I've given you a little bit of a space there to just kind of jot some notes as I talk this morning. We're going to talk specifically about what is baptism. Number two, who should be baptized. Number three, how should you be baptized. Number four, does baptism save you or make you more saved? And when should you be baptized? Now, I want to take you this morning, and if you have your Bibles, and I trust you do, all right, take them and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 3. Now, I want to spend just a few moments in Matthew chapter 3, and as I was studying this week, I thought, I really don't want to spend just a few moments in Matthew chapter 3. What I really want to do is spend about 45 minutes in Matthew chapter 3 and kind of make this a five-part series, but that's not the purpose of what we're doing this morning, all right? So I want to take you to Matthew chapter 3 at, at where we see in the Gospels, and remember there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all writing about uh, the same events, but they all have different perspectives on those events. I've chosen Matthew. I may refer to here at some points uh, to the other Gospels, but let's look there at uh, Matthew in chapter 3. We're going to meet uh, at the beginning of uh, Matthew chapter 3, we're going to meet this guy called John the Baptist. Now if you grew up in church, Maybe you were like me. I can remember as a little boy going, wow, there's John the Baptist. But I heard about some friends in the neighborhood that were Presbyterians. So I'm wondering, is there like a Pete the Presbyterian as well? There's a John the Baptist. There's a Pete the Presbyterian. And maybe there's a Larry the Lutheran. I, you know, who, who is this guy, John the Baptist? Now, we don't have a lot of time this morning to go into a lot of depth in John's life. That's not the purpose of our time this morning. But I want you to see who this guy was. He uh, was known uh, familiarly as the Baptist. Now, it bears no uh, uh, relation to the modern denomination that's out there, Baptist, all right? Some people would like you to think that, but that's not who he was. Literally, that term John the Baptist meant John the Immerser, or we could say John the Dunker, or John the Dipper, all right? It doesn't flow quite as well as John the Baptist, but that's how we could look at him. That word uh, Baptist is there, and it's, it really means to baptizo, an immerser, one who administers the rite of immersion. In fact, the Jewish historian uh, Josephus uh, even refers to John by that same designation as John the Dipper, John the Immerser. And I know when I say John the Dipper, some of you are going, John the Dipper now, does that mean? Okay, just take it for what it is. It's immersion in the context of baptism that we're talking about uh, this morning. In fact, John, uh, in the divine scheme of things, was a very important person. And in fact, I think the, his importance really can be summed up best in the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus said this of John the baptizer, John the immerser, among them that are born of women, there is not arisen a greater than John the Baptist, John the Dipper. That's a pretty amazing thing. Let's look real quickly at who this guy was. Look at uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, in those days, John the Immerser came 
And he was preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now look at verse 4. Here's some interesting things we're going to find out about John. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Now now picture this for just a moment with me. Here's this guy that's roaming around out in the wilderness just outside of the city, and he's got a camel hair kind of an outfit on. And, And not just does he have a camel hair outfit, but he's got this big leather belt that it's all girded about. And if you sat and you talked to him and you said, so what's your favorite restaurant? He wouldn't say what mine is. He'd say, well, what I enjoy is locust and wild honey. Anybody here like that this morning? In fact, if you look back and you study the Jewish diet, that wouldn't even be something that the average Jew would say, count me in. Have you had this restaurant over here that serves these locust and wild honey? That's an awesome meal. Yeah, I have that same appetite. All right, here's the bottom line. John the Immerser was a little bit of a strange dude. He just was. All right, now most Bible scholars don't put it in that terminology, at least the commentaries that I read, but he was a strange dude, all right? He did some things, and he looked a certain way, and we'd go, this guy's whacked out, right? And yet Jesus said of him, this guy is incredibly significant. So picture if you are the average Jew or the Gentile that's living in these times, and here comes this man dressed in camel hair, girded with a leather belt, and he trots into town and says, hey, basically, the Messiah is coming. We're sinners. The Messiah is coming. You need to repent of your sin and identify with this Messiah that's coming. I'm amazed as the text goes on in verse 5. It says, Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. A pretty remarkable thing. What would happen to you if you saw some guy trotting in when you were watching the fireworks uh, a couple nights ago, and he's dressed in camel hair with a leather belt girded around him, And he tells you, my favorite food is locust and wild honey, but the Messiah is coming. Would you go take me down to the river, dude? Baptize me. That's what I want. How many of you would do that? Some of you are just crazy enough, you probably would. But most of us would ignore that type of a person. Just shows you that obviously God was upon this man because the people were being baptized, verse 6 says. They were being baptized as they confessed their sin. Notice further in verse 7, but when he saw the many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I'd be doubly scared if I was one of the Pharisees, and here's this guy dressed in camel hair with a leather belt wrapped around himself, and he called me a viper. That's what he did. He basically said, I'm not going to baptize you. There's been no repentance. There's been no change of your mind with regards to Yahweh, with regards to the God of the universe. Verse 8, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. When I see that there's been genuine repentance, then I'll baptize you. Then you can identify with this Messiah, but not until then. Now, I know this morning, and I, I say this often, as you come in here on a Sunday morning, after staying up too late last night and probably eating some things right before you went to bed that you shouldn't have eaten, as you come in here and I say those things, you may go, well, what's the big deal? This is a really big deal. Here's why. 
Because the incredible thing is that Jews are accepting John's invitation to repentance and to baptism. They were admitting basically that they were just like the Gentiles. That they were in need of becoming the people of God genuinely. Not just in name, not just by birth, but genuinely coming into a relationship with this God. They needed to understand that inwardly they needed a Savior, they needed a Messiah. And this is an incredible thing as you see these Jews allowing John the Immerser, John the Dipper, to baptize them after they've repented of their sin and come into a relationship with God. Now look further down at verse 13. There are other Gospels uh, that that talk about this particular account. And uh, and one of the accounts, uh, uh, it says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. One of the accounts, I believe it's in John, John says he actually saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold, there's the Lamb of God that's come to take away the sins of the world. Incredible thing. John's standing there doing what God's called him to do, right? I mean, after all, I am John the Immerser. I'm John the Dipper. This is what I do. I proclaim the Messiah, and I baptize people, and they have a new identification with Jesus. Verse 14, but John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and and do you come to me? Jesus was coming down to him saying, "Uh, John, hey, I want you to baptize me. Now, this could be, and maybe it will be, I don't have time this morning, it may be one of those sermon hang-ups for some of you, because the obvious question is, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Jesus wasn't a sinner, right? Jesus, Jesus wasn't a sinner who was coming into a relationship with himself, but what he was doing is he was saying, hey, I am part of this, I believe in this, I want to identify this with this. Remember, Jesus is just now coming onto the scene as the Messiah, So he comes down and he tells John to baptize him. And John goes, no way, you're not a sinner. You can't have possibly come into a relationship with Jesus. You're you're not in need of baptism. I should be baptized by you. And if we went back to other gospels, we would literally see that that, that Jesus and John sat there and they actually had a little bit of a back and forth. No, me, not you. Who's getting a check, right, at the the, uh, restaurant? It's kind of like, no, no, let me have it. All right, don't ever do that with me because if you reach for the check, I'm giving it to you, all right? But that's not what was happening here. And Jesus was saying, I want you to baptize me. And John's going, no, no, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. No, 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 I want to identify with what you're preaching. I am the Messiah. I want you to baptize. And it went back and forth and back and forth. And finally, if you know your Bibles, you know he was baptized. This passage is a good starting point, I really believe. This early form of baptism here in the Gospels. It's a good starting point for our discussion this morning. Number one, what is baptism? Write this down in your notes if you have a pen. This is a very important thing and I think is going to give you a real clear, concise definition. A baptism is simply this. It is a public declaration of a new association. Did you get that? It's a public declaration of a new association. You can understand these Jews who were coming and they're listening to, J- to John the Immerser. They're listening to him speak. And, and, and all of a sudden they realize we are sinners. We do need a Messiah. He is coming. And they were baptized as an identification, as a declaration of their new association. They're simply saying this. I am identifying with this message and I'm not ashamed of it. Which is a very big deal. 
Unlike the day you and I live in, most of us this morning, if you're baptized next Sunday, you can invite friends to come with you. And even if they're not followers of Jesus, they might be very, very excited about you being baptized because of what they think baptism means, because of what they heard growing up or their preconceived ideas. It wasn't like that for these people. For them to be baptized in many of their homes, for them to identify with with Jesus, with the Messiah, meant literally that they would be treated by the rest of their family as if they had died. And so baptism was such an incredibly big deal to them. I'm identifying with this message, and I'm publicly declaring my new association, and I am not ashamed. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, just before he ascended into heaven, he said, Go therefore and make disciples, make learners of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. We respond to the gospel with repentance and faith in the finished work of Jesus at the cross, and then we identify with him in baptism. Acts uh, 8.12 Uh, says, but when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. And so baptism is simply an outward sign of what's already happened on the inside. That's what baptism is. It's a public declaration of a new association. Now, our second question is, who should be baptized? Here's the consistent witness of the New Testament, is that if someone first believes in Jesus... Then they are baptized. This is what we call uh, believer's baptism. Jesus commanded that all Christians would be baptized. In fact, those were some of the very last words that he said there in Matthew 28 before he ascended into heaven. The apostles commanded that Christians would be baptized, which explains why the book of Acts uh, and records of the early church show that baptism was practiced consistently and regularly. It wasn't something they did once a year, once every couple years. It was regular. In fact, never do we witness in the Scripture. Remember, that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about Scripture. We're not talking about your church or my church that I grew up in or what your culturally based opinion is. Never do we witness the reverse order in Scripture where someone such as an infant is baptized and then later believes in Jesus. We support this position in the New Testament in a number of uh, passages. Every baptism in the New New Testament is preceded by repentance of sin and faith in Jesus. I could take you to Acts 2, to Acts 8, to Acts chapter 9, 10, 16, uh, 18, 19, 22. We could go right through the book of Acts in the early church. And every time we see this person that has an encounter with the gospel, the good news, they repent They change their mind, they move in a new direction, and then there is baptism. Baptism is reserved solely for those people who have put their trust in Christ alone, Galatians 3, uh, 27. Now, the Bible does uh, give us occurrences where entire households were baptized. And this is where some of my friends who baptize infants will say, see, yeah, they're gotcha. All right, well, not so quick. Because in each of those cases, if we were to look back in Acts 10, if we were to look in Acts 11, 16, and 1 Corinthians 1, we would see that as those households came to faith in Jesus Christ, in each one of those situations, we would see in those texts that they uh, believed in Jesus and they were saved. Okay, 
It wasn't just somebody that, that uh, a, a, an infant that oh, daddy came to Christ and daddy repented of his sins and so therefore I'm baptized. That never occurs in the New Testament. And also, uh, we believe that both Jesus and his apostles gave the command for disciples to be baptized an expression of, as an expression of their discipleship, as an expression of their devotion. The two are never reversed, all right? Never reversed. Now, for some of you, you might immediately say, well, I was baptized as a child, and I just think that's good enough, and that covers it. Here's the problem. If you were baptized as a child, as a, as a baby, as an infant, there's absolutely no way that you could have known your status as a sinner before a holy God. There's no way. There's no way you could have responded to the good news of the gospel as an infant. And so that baptism, while in some cases, which is used as a baby dedication, we dedicate babies here at Northwest, we don't sprinkle them, we don't baptize them. One of the main reasons is because of the confusion then that can come, that somehow that is believer's baptism. If it's used as a dedication, that would be one thing. But for many of us, we hang on that baptism as that is believer's baptism. If you were baptized as an infant before you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you should be baptized as a Christ follower. Now, I know for some of you, you listen to that and you go, I don't like that. That makes me a little bit uncomfortable. And maybe I'm, I'm 65 years old or I'm 75 years old. Now you're telling me I should trot down there into the lake with you and let you dunk me under the water? No, I didn't say that. Remember this morning, we're not talking about what I say, what a church says, what another pastor says. We're just simply talking about what the Bible says as far as believers' baptism. Biblical baptism is where we publicly identify ourselves as Christ followers. And as a little baby, trust me, you don't have any choice, right? That little baby's up there, and that pastor or that priest sprinkles water on top of them. That baby did not have a choice at all, right? Some of you didn't like that, I can tell. Number three. How should you be baptized? We're going to talk about, in fact, this is commonly referred to by theologians as mode of baptism, right? And I, don't, I don't want to get too deep here this morning, and so I'm going to try to, to keep it at a level where uh, I, I always try to say if a sixth grader can understand me. Do we have any sixth graders down here? All right. If, well, I know there's some sixth graders down here. Raise your hand. Come on. All right. If you're a sixth grader and you're not understanding what I'm saying, just raise your hand and go, I don't have a clue what you're saying, all right? Because I'm trying to make you understand. If we can get you to understand, then hopefully... Uh, well, maybe even if we get you to understand some of these people I'm looking at, maybe still won't understand, but at least you're a good gauge, right? How should you be baptized? We refer to this as the mode of baptism. Uh, the, the word is, is typically used in the New Testament is baptizo. All right, now you don't need to learn how to spell it. In fact, you really don't even need to know a lot about the word other than just a few things that I'm going to tell you this morning. Baptizo means this. It means to dip, to immerse, it's kind of like these things that I discovered not too long ago over at Harris Teeter, Diana's Bananas, not in relation to my wife, where they take this banana and they dip it in chocolate. I mean, they don't just dip it once in chocolate. Like, they dip this dude several times in chocolate. You've been to the fair where you get this little chocolate coating on a banana? Yeah, no, this is, it. This is like a quarter of an inch thick all the way around on the banana. You get your fruit and chocolate all in one. It's a, it's a good thing, all right? That is baptizo. That is immersing, all right? That's what the word means. And that's the word that is consistently used in the New Testament for baptism. There's something that I discovered this week 
And after being a pastor for 25 years, after having paper on the wall that says I should already know these things, I just discovered this and this illustration, and this is really cool, all right? This is worth your whole attendance this morning because you will be able to impress somebody with this later on down the road because you were here and you know this. Now, there are two words that I'll refer to this morning. There is baptizo, which I just referred to, to. And then there is another Greek word meaning a very similar thing. It's bapto, B-A-P-T-O. The clearest example that shows the meaning of baptizo is actually from a Greek poet and physician. I think his name is pronounced Nisander, and he lived about 200 B.C. Now, here's the really cool thing. Here's this guy living in 200 B.C., and we still have access to, which is an incredible thing, there's a recipe for making pickles. It's really cool. How many of you like pickles? All right, leave now. No, I'm just kidding. It's a recipe for pickles. And this particular uh, Greek poet and physician used in his recipe for making pickles, he used both of these Greek verbs, bapto and baptizo. All right, here's what he said. He says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should be first dipped or bapto into boiling water. All right, you, you put it in boiling water. And then he says... You are to then baptize or baptizo the, uh, uh, the, the cucumber in, a, in the vinegar solution. Both words are used there in that, uh, uh, in that recipe. One meaning simply to dip down and then to remove. And the other word, baptizo, which we normally... Uh, use in the New Testament, baptism, to dip, to immerse. That second Greek verb there actually gives the idea of not just immersing, but it's actually the vegetable which is becoming one with that vinegar, which is long-lasting and it produces permanent change. Isn't that cool? Somebody just tell me that's cool because I thought it was really awesome. It was just awesome. And so here is what God is saying in his word, that as we are baptizo, we are literally saying, I am with, I am all in. I am becoming one with Jesus Christ. That is my life now. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Now, it's not just, a, I, I kind of was, was dipped down here and I, I may or may not be. I mean, no, I'm saying this is for real. This is for keeps. This is the real thing. And when used in the New Testament, this word more often refers to our union and, identify, and an identification with Christ. Christ is saying basically that mere intellectual assent to the gospel, me saying, well, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, that's not enough. In fact, the book of James says that there are demons, there are devils that believe and they tremble at that fact that mere intellectual assent is not enough. There has to be a union with him, a real change like the vegetable to the pickle. That is so cool. And I am so glad that I got to learn that this week because that's really neat. And we baptize by immersion for this particular reason. You may say, well, what if I was baptized after uh, I trusted Christ as my Savior, but I was baptized in some other way other than immersion? Maybe I was sprinkled. I, I, I would say to you this. First of all, we baptize by immersion because we believe that it vividly illustrates the believer's identification with Christ's death and his burial and his resurrection. There is no clearer form in my estimation 
of biblical baptism, believer's baptism, than immersion. But, but the key is this. Did, were you baptized as a Christ follower? Were you baptized after trusting in Christ alone as your Savior or before? The other thing about uh, how we baptize is this, that it should be a public thing. Now, if you've been around Northwest for any length of time, you've heard me talk about this, but, and I, I believe passionately about this, that I really believe that if God gives us the opportunity to build a building at some point, I'm not sure we'd ever have a baptistry within the church. I really firmly believe that baptism should be public. In fact, if I could go back and do 20 years of youth ministry again, I'd get permission from public schools to somehow put a baptistry right at the base of where the kids get off the buses in the morning. And after camp, if somebody wanted to be baptized, I'd say, let's wait till September and let's do it at Athens Drive High School. Let's do it at Apex High School. Let's do it at Green Hope High School. Right after you get off the bus, I'll be standing there with you. We'll be in that tub of water and you can publicly identify with Jesus. How about that? I wonder how many of us would be willing to do that. Maybe not many of us. It should be very, very public because it's a public declaration of a new association. Question number four, does baptism save me or make me more saved? This is probably the most fundamental, the most key question of all five this morning. Some hold to a view, and again, I don't want to get too deep, but I want you to understand some of this this terminology. Some hold to a view of baptismal regeneration. In other words, that baptism is part of the process by which we become a follower of Jesus, how we're saved from our, ten, our, from our sin. Uh, that teaching, I want you to understand, is dangerous. And it's actually refuted biblically quite easily. But I want you to understand the danger of that. Especially those of you that are here, middle school, high school students, college students, those of you that probably will go out from here and you may live in different places and you may need to look for a church, please, please, please make sure that you ask questions with regards to baptism and is baptism a part of my salvation? We believe in sola fide. We believe that we come to Christ alone by faith. Faith alone. Faith plus nothing else. Faith plus not your good works or your baptism or your pedigree as, a, as a, the family that you grew up in. We believe that we come to Christ by faith alone in Jesus Christ. That salvation is solely a, a free gift and I receive that by faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And if we add anything to that, it no longer is faith alone. Do you understand that? Anything that we add to that faith. Uh, That's why we talk to you so often about not thinking that that this is all about being a good person. All right? There are lots of good people that will spend eternity apart from Christ. There are lots of people who have not lived so good but are rightly aligned as far as their Savior with the God of the universe that will spend eternity in heaven because salvation, I can't earn that on my own. I can't do enough good deeds. Salvation is solely a free gift from God. Now, how do we know this? Well, in various ways. The Philippian jailer, you remember in Acts chapter 16, I wish we could go back there this morning. You remember the Philippian jailer, he gets scared and and he comes to faith in Christ as Paul is there. And, and, and when, he comes, when he comes to the point, he asks, what is required of me to be saved? And Paul didn't say, well, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized. Oh, wait a second. 
do we have any water? Is there a baptistry or someplace I can? No, he just simply said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. He didn't add baptism to that. Likewise, and this is one of the clearest things to me, the thief on the cross. You remember that, right? As Jesus is hanging there on the cross and he is hanging there uh, amongst two sinful men, men who for you to be crucified with, with a Roman crucifixion, you had to be a pretty bad guy. And you remember one is looking at Jesus and saying to Jesus, Jesus, why don't you, if if you're the son of God, why don't you call some angels and get us down from here? I mean, why do we have to put up with this? And the the other guy says, hey, be merciful to me, a sinner. He realized that Jesus was the Savior. Remember what Jesus said? Today you'll what? Today you'll be with me in paradise. In other words, where I'm going, that's where you'll be going. Now think about the theological implications for those that hold to a a position of baptismal regeneration. Problem, right? Jesus is going, I really appreciate the fact that you believe me. I appreciate the fact that, that you believe I am the Son of God, that I came to be the Messiah, the Savior for the sins of the world. But we got a problem here. We're hanging on a cross, right? Yet Jesus didn't put baptism and attach baptism to that at all. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now I go back to Matthew 3, to the text that we looked at earlier. Matthew 3, where Jesus was baptized. If baptism had anything to do with our sinfulness and washing away our sinfulness, Jesus never would have been baptized. The reason he was baptized is it was identification, not cleansing of sin. Ephesians 2.8.9 says it is for by grace that we've been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the free gift of God. It's not by works, Titus 3.5, that we have done. Because if it was about works, we could boast, right? You could tell me how good you are and I could say, well, that's a good one. But let me tell you how good I am. And God says it's not about that. It's all about me and it's about my finished work on the cross. Maybe the best way to say it this morning without an extensive lesson in theology is this. That baptism is a reminder of grace, not a requirement of grace. It's a reminder, an identification of grace versus a requirement. Now, being baptized doesn't make anyone a Christian. Not being baptized doesn't cause anyone to stop being a Christian. And I'd illustrate it this way. I I wear a wedding ring on my finger. Um, If I were to take the wedding ring off, it doesn't mean that I'm no longer married, right? But my wife appreciates the fact that I have it on. You know, I mean, when when I'm down the road and I got the top down on the Miata, you know, I mean, I look pretty good, okay? I mean, that's just the bottom line. When I look in the rear view mirror and I know you don't think that and I don't either. But I'm just saying, I want this on because I want everybody to know I'm married, I identify with this woman. We are one. I'll spend the rest of my life with her. That identifies me with her, right? Literally, baptizo, right? I mean, I have become one. We are one permanently. And by the way, I like looking over at her finger and seeing that ring that I put on her finger that I'm still paying for 23 years later. No, I'm not really. It's a nice ring, but it wasn't quite that nice. Number five, lastly, when should you be baptized? So glad you asked. So glad you asked that question. 
Acts chapter 2, if you flip back there in your Bible and you look at the beginnings of the early church, which is a pretty incredible thing. At some point here at Northwest, we're going to teach through the book of Acts. And um, you think I've gotten excited about other series we've done. When we teach through the book of Acts and you see where the church is, is literally started and it just lights on fire and starts sweeping across the land, what an exciting thing. But in Acts chapter 2, when we see the first people coming to faith in Jesus, after the Uh, Jesus has died and he's been ascended into heaven and you see the spirit that's unleashed that he promised was going to come and indwell us and give us the ability to be able to do what he left us here to do. You'll notice that as those people came to faith in Jesus Christ, their baptism was immediate. Do you remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8? The Ethiopian eunuch comes to Jesus and he realizes he's a sinner. They stop the chariot and they go, let's do it right now, man. Let's go. And they went down into the water, baptizo, right? Not just a little pouring over the top of the head. He actually had to go down there into the water. Probably didn't have a change of tunics either, right? He went down in there into the water, and he was baptized immediately. Immediately. Now, I was baptized when I was nine years old. And really, it was not too long after I came to faith in Jesus. I was baptized. But I've often asked myself, just as a fellow Christ follower... And certainly as a pastor, if the Bible teaches that baptism is a declaration of a new way of life, why is it that so many people wait to be baptized for many, many, many years? Let's stop and contemplate that for just a moment. I think a good perspective on baptism should be this, that it should be one of the first acts of obedience of a new follower of Jesus. My, my question is, is this, if a new Christ follower, if they will not be obedient to the first command which Jesus has said, repent and be baptized, if they won't be obedient to that simple command and publicly identify themselves as a Christ follower, what other area in our lives might we be willing to compromise on or Uh, just kind of go a little bit different way or kind of just put out of our mind because it is not convenient or too difficult to obey. This is our personal identification with the greatest act of human history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism doesn't save you, but it says publicly, I am a follower of Jesus. Baptizo. I am one with him. I am all in. I intend to live my life solely and completely for him, and I don't mind if you hold me accountable for that. That's what baptism says. When you are baptized, in fact, you are actually visually preaching the gospel. You recognize that? As you stand in the water, you symbolize Jesus dying on the cross. And as you're lowered into the water, you symbolize Jesus being buried in the tomb. And as you rise up from the water, you're symbolizing the risen Savior. Because if he was still dead, we would be hopeless, helpless people this morning. And since you personally are being baptized, you're also saying, I died with Jesus Christ, I was buried with him, and now I'm raised with Christ to a brand new life. In short, your baptism is preaching a sermon without using any words at all, at least out of your mouth. Your sermon is your baptism. And I really believe it'll be more effective with those people in your circle of influence than any other thing. 
And, and that's why we really want to make it very, a very simple process for you to be baptized. You don't have to go through 10 or 12 weeks of classes. I'm sure the Ethiopian eunuch didn't have time for even a quick verse. You know, at least learn this verse so that you can quote something when I baptize. Nothing of that. Just let's go down. Let's be baptized. And when those people were added to the church in Acts chapter 2, they didn't have time for a class. They just simply believed, they repented, and they were baptized. So that brings me to a couple of questions this morning. Usually in a crowd this size, there are a number of people who uh, would identify themselves with Jesus Christ, at least in words. You, you would tell me this morning that you are a follower of Jesus, that you have given your life to him, that he is your savior, that you're trusting in Christ alone as your personal savior. My question to you this morning is, have you publicly identified with yourself with him in believer's baptism? And if you haven't, why haven't you? Next Sunday would be a great opportunity for you to do that. It's no mistake that we're talking about baptism, about going public today, right? We had this plan. Remember I told you when I started that uh, um, we, we've been thinking about this, not just this week, but for several months that we would do this, that we would talk about this on this particular day. If you're a Christ follower and you have never been baptized, I want to encourage you to do the very first thing that we're told to do as obedient Christ followers, and that is to publicly identify with him. I really believe this, and I say this to you in love, but I say it firmly, that if you refuse believer's baptism, if you refuse to identify publicly with Jesus Christ in your new association, your declaration of him, I really think you have to look back and, and ask yourself, am I really trusting in Christ alone as my Savior? Now, what reasons could there be for you not being willing to do that? I think there are lots of them. I think the one, for people that have known Jesus for a long time and just have never been obedient in believer's baptism, I think maybe there's a little embarrassment factor there for you. And you go, man, I've known the Lord for 40 years. I get what he's saying, and man, he talked a lot about the Bible, and I I get that, and it kind of bothers me, and I'm uncomfortable now, but what do I do now? I'm embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. I mean, I say all kinds of things up here on a regular basis that are really technically an embarrassment to me. They really are. When I tell you about my life, when I open myself up to you and I tell you about things that I think about and things that I do that I shouldn't do and all that battle, Romans 7, that the Apostle Paul had that I have, I expose that to you on a regular basis as a leader. Don't be embarrassed because of a wrong decision you might have made back here. Maybe it was made out of ignorance. Maybe you just simply did not know. And today, out of God's sovereignty, you're here. You're with us this morning, and you say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I have trusted in Christ alone as my personal Savior. Then I want to challenge you to be baptized. Now, you may say, well, I'm scared. Well, I'd be too if a person like me was going to baptize you, quite frankly. But I will tell you this, that in 25 years of baptizing people, I've only lost one. And it really wasn't my fault. (laughs) Actually, I didn't even lose him. All right? Had this big guy that kind of slipped out of my arms one time. We brought him back up rather quickly. I mean, he... Didn't stay under very long, no CPR necessary, nothing like that, all right? You'll be safe, I can assure you of that. And we typically here at Northwest, we have two people baptized. So we got a little extra security right there, you know? Um, Don't be scared of that. And here's what I want to give you an opportunity to do. I told the guys this uh, several weeks ago, and this is why we planned uh, this particular Sunday to do this. I want to make it really easy for you in this sense that I think that there are a number of us here this morning that we just simply need to say, this is something I should have done a long time ago. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm trusting in Christ alone as my Savior. I should have done this a long time ago. 
and next Sunday I am going to do it. It's hot. It's a great time to get in the lake anyway. I'm not going to wait till fall when they do another one of these and it's cold because then i got another excuse. I'm going to go ahead and do it. And I really want next Sunday for a number of you who up to this point, whether it's been out of ignorance or whether it's just been disobedience because you're fearful for whatever reason, I want to challenge you to be biblically baptized, to publicly declare your new association or the association you've had for a long time. Picture it again, like the guy that hasn't been wearing his wedding ring, putting it back on, saying, I'm, I'm public. I want you to know I belong to somebody. Somebody has entrusted their care into my care, and I have to somebody else. I want you to do that.